0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power
1: to do? Mobile
0: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's chief medical officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's health discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me, I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange, you're an African American, age 57, I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. With each mortgage-free home, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us. Heroes that put their lives on the line for all of us, risking their lives for our country and our communities. These heroes need your help now more than ever. Help America's heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T, dot org
1: what is going on belly up sports fam mr shaka cummings mr parker ainsworth welcome to f in sports the podcast with two teachers grade sports biggest issues Uh, Mr. Ainsworth and I were waxing poetic about beaches before I hit record here. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how are you doing? I'm imagining that maybe it's a little chilly since we're talking beaches, sir. (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of gray and a
0: little drizzly outside, so it's probably why I'm thinking of the beach, but I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Mr. Cummings?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. It's probably in the 50s here in Kentucky, and so I'll take a beach too. Um, I know you're about to head off on the spring break, Mr. Ainsworth, so maybe a beach (laughs) destination in your future. Um, How about we jump into our gold stars and detentions. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, I would like to start by acknowledging gold star to the well-lived life of marvelous Marvin Hagler, undisputed middleweight champion for about five years. If you know nothing about boxing, I just need you to go on YouTube right now, if you got 10 minutes, and look up the Marvin Hagler-Thomas Hearns fight. Because it's only three rounds, so you don't have to take your whole day. But it is maybe the most violent 10 minutes. It is crazy. Think about this, Mr. Ainsworth. It was the fight of the year back in 1985, and it was only three rounds. It wasn't one of these 12-round wars. That just let you know how crazy it was. Marvin Hagler, career record, 62 wins, only three defeats, 52 knockouts. Uh, His final fight was against Sugar Ray Leonard back in 87, then Sugar Ray ran. So Sugar Ray wins a split decision over Hagler in 87 and then retires rather than try to fight Hagler in a rematch. And he, I mean, he literally stayed retired for three years. Hagler retires in 1990. A month later, Sugar Ray comes out of retirement to fight. It's like that dude, whatever that lets you know how bad a dude uh, Hagler was. And then he goes off to Italy and he becomes an actor. Like that's how he ended uh, his, uh, his career. And then he eventually, unfortunately passed away at his house in New Hampshire. Uh, life well lived. Rest in peace, Marvin Hagler. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth. Do you have any gold stars for us, sir?
0: Yeah, I got a handful. I got one for Steph Curry. We're recording a Sunday at Steph Curry's 33rd birthday. Um, we could go through a long list of accomplishments for a 33-year-old guy, but seven-time all-star, multiple-time champion, etc. cetera. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out. I want to shout out my dad. I remember in, I think it was the summer of 2007, I'm working at like, a desk job, very, very boring high school summer desk job, and my dad sends me this article that's like, the best kid in the state of North Carolina does not play for North Carolina, nor Duke. And I was like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> and then sure enough, that year, Davidson went off. And so shout-out to Steph Curry, 33 years old.
1: Yeah, Steph Curry, 33. There's a lot of threes in Steph Curry, right? Um, <laughs> shout-out, Gold Star, to the greatest Nick basketball player in my lifetime, Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing is the head coach now at Georgetown University, his alma mater. And... They won the Big East tournament. They are 13-12 in terms of record, but they're going to be in the NCAA tournament, which is uh, more than I can say for my <laughs> alma mater, the University of Kentucky. Um, uh, they, It's it's tough because they they get Villanova, who's the one seed, and Villanova has an injury with Colin Gillespie, who's their, uh, their point guard. That being said, Georgetown went in there, played them tough, won that game. They end up blowing out Creighton in The championship game they beat him by almost 40. There will be a follow up detention later related to Patrick Ewing. Thank you, James Gold. <laughs> um, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, gold stars, sir.
0: Yeah, I want to stick somewhat relatively like tangentially related to the Knicks. Um, uh, I'm gonna get <laughs> a gold star to Carmelo Anthony. Uh, last night, again, we're recording on a Sunday, and last night he got into the top 10 all time scoring in the NBA. He passed Manakim Lajwan, uh, to move past the 11th spot into the 10th spot. And shout out to Carmelo Anthony for, you know, still getting buckets. I know there was a period there where things looked a little spotty, post-Oklahoma, mid-Houston, and then after that, he was kind of on the shelf for a while. Uh, Obviously took on a new role in Portland and is flourishing again. And there's one thing that he will always be able to do, and it is hit a two-dribble mid-range pull-up. So shout out to Kamal <laughs> Anthony
1: for making it to the top ten. That man is money from 18 to 20 feet. So, <laughs> um, One more gold star for me, Mr. Ainsworth. A gold star to Josh Passner and the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, who won the ACC tournament. They're going to be dancing as well. The interview post-game. Is worth it for you to get on YouTube and find? They are so happy. They're shouting out everyone. They're shouting out the ESPN announcers who do the pregame. Like they are just elated. And when you think about like the, the what everyone has had to overcome to get to this point, because this is the time when the world stopped last year. These guys were about to go into conference tournaments, get ready for March Madness, and the world stopped because of global pandemic. So now people are like they're just happy. That they're now starting to see all of these things fulfilled that they didn't have the opportunity to fulfill last year, Josh Passner. Uh, Georgia Tech, another team that beat Kentucky this year. Shout out to them. Congratulations. They made the tournament. Uh Mr. Ainsworth, do you have any further gold stars or do you want to jump into detention, sir? No,
0: I've got one that's kind of two, but I want to first give out a gold star to Shaka Smart and the Texas Longhorns for winning the Big Twelve Conference. Best name, best, tha- best, best name in basketball. Best name in basketball. Best
1: name on the planet. Shaka <laughs> Smart. We need to just let's just keep that should be the name of this podcast. <laughs>
0: um But for Shaka, I think a lot of things a lot of things broke right this year, obviously. Shaka, a year ago at this time, people were really clamoring for him to lose his job and really arguing can that... We,
1: can we just say Shaka Smart? Because no one was clamoring for me to lose my job. <laughs> I, just want, I just want everyone to be clear.
0: <laughs> um, but Shaka Smart was really on the hot seat there for a second, which is crazy to think of now. But a year ago, people were like, oh, man, they're so underperforming this and this, that, and the other. And da, 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 da. And meanwhile, he's putting together a team that has literally outperformed every other... Texas coach to ever show up. They've won the Big 12 for the first time in school history. And while that really says a lot more about previous, we'll just say teams, and I'll leave it at that, that you could all talk about how they couldn't get past Kansas. This year, This year they're absolutely tremendous. And again, a year ago, we really were talking about, does he need to get the axe? And then my other half of a gold star on this goes to Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones, if you don't know the story, uh, midway through his sophomore year, gets diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, he was the McDonald's All-American guard that Shaka Smart was really looking forward to building a program around. He obviously needed to take some time off to he was literally at shooting drills with a chemo pack on his back you know, IV plugged into his arm and now he is the you know, perimeter-oriented leader of a Big 12 champion, Texas Longhorn. So, Gold Star to Andrew Jones and Shaka Smart in conjunction for Texas' performance this year.
1: So, let's jump into detentions, Mr. Ainsworth. And uh, this is the portion of the podcast where I detention James Dolan. Um, I'm sure that Park will follow up with a Tillman Fertitta detention anyway. So, uh, (laughs) detention to James Dolan and Madison Square Garden. Because, as I talked about, we're going to circle back to Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing literally has his number in the rafters at madison square garden because of his performances with the knicks as i said the greatest nick player i've ever seen in my lifetime so now he's the head coach at georgetown the big east tournament is in madison square garden every year patrick ewing just for folks who do not know patrick ewing is every bit of seven feet 300 pounds at this point in his life there is no way you don't recognize that man <laughs> in madison square garden you recognize patrick ewing and then he comes on after the biggest win Maybe if his career, a win over Villanova, the number one seed in the Biggie East tournament, he has to come on after the game and talk about being accosted by MSG security at Madison Square Garden as if they don't recognize who he is, questioning him in terms of where his passes are. What I will say is, and it was eloquently uh, mentioned by Spike Lee this week on ESPN, there's a holy trinity Of 90s New York Knicks basketball. And it is Charles Oakley, Spike Lee, Patrick Ewing. And all three of these folks have been accosted at Madison Square Garden by Knicks folks under the ownership of James Dolan. And I don't, it it all rolls up to him. I hate that man. I don't know why he still owns this team. Um, I am on the sell the team train with Parker Ainsworth. So, um, uh detention to James Dolan and Master Square Garden because I don't understand you
0: I will just say when this happens a few years from now in Houston I'm just gonna we're gonna come back to this podcast because we're gonna be running for a long time and I'm just gonna say listen this is the exact same thing <laughs>
1: listen they're retiring James Harden's number so if he goes into coaching they won't recognize him but listen at least they're retiring his number <laughs> right
0: and they'll blame it on something he shaved or something um <laughs> My detention is also related to the University of Texas, um, except this time it's extending to the boosters, although it's not for anything to do with Shaka Smart. Um, This past week, Texas Tribune released an article that kind of outlined the reports that were coming out about the Eyes of Texas song, and honestly, I'm not really here to talk to folks about, you know, why they should or shouldn't play the Eyes of Texas song, although they shouldn't play the Eyes of Texas song. The truth is here... (laughs) That the most damning thing about the report was not any historical evidence around the Eyes of Texas song. The emails from the boosters sent to the president of the university in light of when Sam Ellinger is the only Longhorn State on the field singing the song after Lost Oklahoma earlier this season. There were things like, if those guys don't want to sing the song, they can find a different state school to go to, um, including things like, If blacks don't want to sing this song, they can find another state to live in. There were all kinds of very damning things said by some anonymous and some not so anonymous boosters to the program that included... The need to point out that they pay millions of dollars towards this school, and thus it ought to be going as they'd like. And so, as much as I, I credit the university for a lot of things, including I think earlier episodes on this podcast, I say if it's not for that school, I don't exist because that's where my parents met. I just it, it made it a really rough few days to be a Longhorn, and, and honestly, it hadn't really gone away. It's just we won the Big 12 yesterday, so it feels
1: like it's in the past. Speaking of things that you hope would go away, detention to Rick Pitino, and Iona College. Listen, they won the MAC. Congratulations, they won the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Here's what will not happen on this podcast we will not be celebrating Rick Patino as if he's some sort of person who has redeemed himself. No, he has not redeemed himself. He's a basketball coach. Iona decided to hire him. They ignored his past, in which he's knocked up wives of staff at the University of Louisville. Where there there are allegations about him going after co-eds on campus where his he was basically let go from Louisville because one of his assistant coaches were using hookers to recruit players and have sex with them so as long as this is who Rick Patino is I will not be here I will not stand here for the celebrations if Rick Patino, has somehow redeemed himself? No, he's a basketball coach, and Iona College sold their soul to get this man to come coach kids. And if they're cool with that, then they're cool with that. I'm not.
0: I've got one more, but I also just point out we talked last week about how disturbing it is that these guys continue, guys like Patino, because I I don't want to make him out to be a lonesome case here, but he's certainly a specific one that continues to get second and third chances after being quite a disgusting person. These guys are being hired to be in charge of young men and like to be leaders of young people in general, and that's that's something we gotta stop doing. We gotta stop hiring these guys for second and third chances. I like it. It's it's disgusting. Um, on a more funny note, I wanted to detention Adam <laughs> Schefter for his tweet this morning. Now, if you've been following anything, you know this is very pro Houston sports. Even amidst all the chaos podcast or at least half of it is and <laughs> one of the potential things happening in Houston is Deshaun Watson's potentially getting out and some of the teams are looking at him are the New York Jets the Miami Dolphins but this morning Adam Schefter tweets Houston and Miami have a deal the Texans are trading L.B. Bernardrick McKinney to the Dolphins <laughs> for L.B. Shaq Lawson per league sources and here's the thing I don't know if you guys have an Apple Watch or have an iPhone or whatever but when the you know, preview comes up, you only get the first two lines, which are Adam Schefter tweets, Houston and Miami have a deal, Texans are trading. And that's the whole tweet. It was perfectly <laughs> planned out. And my thing is, Adam Schefter, you can't play with my heartstrings like that. That was way <laughs> too much going on
1: for a swapping of
0: linebackers
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love how emotional he got Mr. Ainsworth <laughs> that is amazing uh friends speaking of emotion we're going to talk March Madness so um we're also going to follow up a little bit of Dak Prescott talk about the fact that he signed a huge contract uh this week and then we will wrap up asking the question if the Brooklyn Nets could revitalize the career of Blake Griffin without further ado Mr. Ainsworth are you ready to go sir ready when you are shotgun.
0: All right, Mr. Cummings, it's spring break, and we're heading back to college for spring break 2021. Woo. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> my my first thesis for you is that this NCAA tournament is Gonzaga's to lose. Now, as we record this, the brackets have not come out yet, and I want to make sure we have that asterisk on whatever we're talking about as much as I hate asterisks. <laughs> but, Mr. Cummings, you hear that, and what do you think?
1: A minus. I'm leaving the minus in. As a caveat, because it's just there's some teams that are really good. Gonzaga this year looks different. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, as you go back to college with maybe a few more gray hairs than you had the first time around, how are you going to grade this one?
0: (laughs) A few more gray hairs and a lot less hair in general, but I'll say (laughs) I'm thinking B minus, but I, I just have. I just have reservations about picking a team, but I, B minus.
1: You have probably more hair on your chin, though, right? Than you did in college.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Mr. Cummings, obviously I'm not going to pull off my luscious mane of a beard struggle beard off my face, <laughs> but you got me pulling the hair out of my head. So I'm wondering, why are you so
1: high at Gonzaga right now? Why are you pulling the hair out of your head? You root for Texas. They're in. <laughs> I root for Kentucky. This is historically bad for us. You should have all your hair. Um, Gonzaga- oh, I'm,
0: also, I'm also Big Blue Nation, Shaka, remember. Yeah.
1: <laughs> BBN, shout out. Uh, go BAM. Um, so um, why I'm so high on Gonzaga. Is, so Gonzaga is traditionally, they are great. If you do not listen to Scorzag Score and Andy Patton, like, you need to get on Belly Up. This is a podcast that you need to be listening to so that you can understand how great this team is if you haven't watched them. Like, this is a great way for you to get your preview before the uh, brackets come out. That being said, here's the difference with Gonzaga this year and every other year. Every other year, Gonzaga is great. This year, Gonzaga has three guys who should be playing in the NBA next year, and they're undefeated, and they're great. They got NBA talent. Corey Kispert... Might be the best shooter in the country. Might be the best shooter in the country. Kid hit 44% of his threes this year. Shot 54% from the field. He hit 72 threes in 26 games. Drew Timmy is that big dude on Gonzaga. And you're like, how does Gonzaga always get them guys? Yeah, Drew Timmy's the guy's name this year. Another kid, almost seven feet. Controls the middle. Incredibly athletic. So he's athletic enough to actually switch some things on the perimeter. Average seven boards per game and 18.7 points per game. And then last but not least... This is the kid who is the difference maker because Gonzaga in the past has had kids who have been one and done. But Jalen Suggs is the most highly recruited prospect that that team has ever had. Averaging 14.3 points per game. He's giving you five boards per game. He leads the team in assists. He is as advertised. And oh, by the way, they got those three dudes at the top. Gonzaga is going to run 10 kids at you. They can all play. So good luck, everybody, Gonzaga. They have incredible coaching, and Mark Few. They I I don't know how you beat them. The only reason why I gave the minus caveat, Mr. Ainsworth, is and I know that you know this. There's a couple of teams out there in the Big Twelve that scare me. There's some teams in the Big Ten that could be concerning, but it's not like Gonzaga hasn't played folks in their non-conference. Gonzaga beat everybody.
0: I have trouble picking one team versus the field in most Marsh Madnesses, though, and so I think that was what hesitated, you know, gave me hesitation in picking this at all. I also know as a regional fan, I look at the SEC and the Big 12 a lot for sports, and in looking at the Big 12, there are a lot of very talented college basketball teams. I don't know necessarily that they have like Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State would match up, but like a guard like a Suggs, but I do think that they have offer interesting problems, I'm going to sit here and say that the Baylor is one of the best teams i got gotten to watch all year. Now I know they didn't even get to the big 12 final. They lost Oklahoma state in the semis, but man, Baylor is as good a team as a team run it. And, and I don't think I'm alone there. Right? Shaka.
1: No, absolutely not. And Baylor guards win in March. Baylor has three incredible guards, right? So Jared Butler is as good as any player in that conference. Macy Oteague is just, Oh, by the way, like, so Jared Butler is the guy who everyone thinks of Cause he leads the team in scoring. Right. Uh, macy O'Teague averaged 16 points per game as well and he is a problem when he gets hot like he's the dude if you were to ask me like who's the guy on baylor who's most likely to go off and score like 50 in a game it's macy O'Teague because he's electric right i um, mean he he's never met a shot he didn't like uh and and then you got davion mitchell who's the third guard and oh by the way he's just giving you 14 points per game and oh by the way you just got these three guards around here in march Right. When we know that guards are what win in the tournament. These guys are all upperclassmen. They're all between six, two and six, four. So they can switch everything defensively. And you're going to struggle trying to guard these guys and keep them in front of you. And oh, by the way, they can all get electric from three. All of these guys attempted over 100 threes, and the Maceo Teague shot 39%. That was the lowest three-point percentage. Jared Butler's at 42%, and Davion Mitchell is at 46%. So, uh, good luck.
0: I think the other thing that's an interesting point to point them at is, you mentioned Cade Cunningham, and I want to get to him in Oklahoma State in a second, but Butler got 17-5 and five a game on 30 on 29.8 minutes per game. Cade Cunningham is like this dominant player in the league and this thing, this high score or whatever. He had 20 and three on 35 minutes a game, right? And so like, (laughs) realistically, the difference to me is more so that Baylor was blowing dudes out and not having to play (laughs) Jerry Butler as many minutes as Oklahoma State needed Cade Cunningham to. That's not to take anything away from Cade Cunningham. The kid's literally like just recently turned 19 years old. He's tremendous. He's a one and done. He's a pro. The whole top whatever pick, da-da-da-da. I'm just saying that I'm very impressed by Baylor as a squad. I also will point out that that Oklahoma State crew beat Baylor as a squad based on an entirely second-half performance because of a rough first half out of Cade Cunningham, right? And so (laughs) I don't necessarily—maybe it's because of the way that this run knocked out my Texas Longhorns many moons ago, but I remember watching Carmelo Anthony do a one-man show of sorts. Not that there weren't other players on that team, but the way he led Syracuse as a one-and-done freshman through the tournament, you could certainly see Cade Cunningham doing the same kind of thing, right?
1: Absolutely. He's electric, and they're hot at the right time. Speaking of a team that's hot at the right time, Mr. Ainsworth, Illinois. They've got two guys in Illinois that will be pros, okay? Aya Desumu is the dude who has the facial injury, and so he's wearing the mask, and everyone's, like, calling him Batman. But to me, the mask actually looks like Green Hornet, which only shows you how old I am, the fact that I've seen Green Hornet shows. Um, but <laughs> but um, he is a forward. He is electric in terms of his athleticism, so he's a dude who can get by you. And, oh, by the way, just hitting 38% from threes. And they have a kid, Kofi Cockburn, maybe the most unfortunate last name in college basketball. But that being said, uh, Kofi Cockburn can play. And he is a dude that will physically just dominate the interior. And so you have to figure out what you're going to do with him. So you got DeSumo who's giving you 20. you got Cockburn who's giving you 17. And Illinois is another team that can run nine guys at you. And so you know, I'm looking at... Gonzaga, and I see an undefeated team with three first-round draft picks, in my opinion. Oklahoma State, I look at Baylor and I look at Illinois, and I say that they all have potential to maybe uh, give them some trouble. But I'm I'm taking Gonzaga to win the whole thing. Like, my bracket will have Gonzaga winning, especially because Kentucky's not in it, so I don't have to do the whole put Kentucky to the championship game thing this year. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to go with my head and not my heart, and I, I'm just seeing a Gonzaga. Woo, they look like a team of destiny so to me. So
0: if you're going with your head and not your heart— Convince me to do the same, because right now I'm looking at a very hot Texas Longhorn team. <laughs> I guess the big knock on them is that they've got a lot of bigs in Greg Brown and Jericho Sims and Brock Cunningham. Why Why am I being crazy and think I got them going a long way?
1: Because they have a freshmen who they're going to need to score and sometimes especially when you're not a guard right because greg brown's not a guard he needs folks to facilitate it for him and so sometimes that can be difficult where can i tell you it's not even just the offensive piece sometimes those freshmen get screwed up in terms of defensive stuff so like there's there's some of those pieces, but I, I like Texas. I mean, I like Shaka Smart, veteran coach. He's had success in this one before. So like, um, listen, root for your alma mater, Adv- advance them all the way to the championship game, but have them <laughs> losing to the Gonzaga because there's no way they're beating Gonzaga. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if we move on to the SEC as we record this, Alabama's up on LSU at halftime. Do you see in is Alabama the team? Is there any SEC team here? I mean, you're an SEC guy as a Kentucky guy. Is it just not the year for them?
1: It's probably not the year for the SEC. That being said, if I'm going to look at some teams that, that have some opportunity to do some things, Alabama's definitely won. Alabama's been consistent all year. Tennessee is the team that they've had inconsistencies. That being said, they, they're a team that could get in a tournament and all of a sudden you haven't seen an athlete like Eve Pons and he is springy. Like, And so now you got to deal with a dude like that and you have to deal with a Tennessee team that you haven't seen. Like, It's one thing when they get into the SEC – and Kentucky can beat them, and Kentucky only wins nine games this year. But Kentucky sees Tennessee twice a year, right? Um, when you don't see that Tennessee team, that could be a tough deal. But I, Alabama's going to be there the second weekend. They're going to be a Sweet 16 team, I imagine. Um, speaking of teams that will make it to the Sweet 16, Mr. Ainsworth, I have a trio of teams that I just want to let folks know. Listen, I'm trying to do you a favor. I want to make sure that your bracket wins <laughs> you some money. There are three teams that people need to pay attention to that maybe they don't. If you don't know who Quentin Grimes is, that's on you. Because once upon a time, <laughs> he played at Kansas. So you should know who he is. That being said, he's uh, the player of the year in all likelihood in his conference at Houston. And Houston, this year, went 23-3. and Kelvin Sampson, you guys might know him because he wins everywhere that he goes. Houston, <laughs> Houston is a team to watch out for. Quinton Grimes, Marcus Sasser, DeJongerreau. Get to know these guys. And let me just help you out. You want to advance Houston in your bracket to the second weekend. Speaking of a team that you want to advance to the bracket in the second weekend, Loyola Chicago. You might remember them from being in the Final Four a few years back. There's a whole nun story there, right? Uh, Go back (laughs) to all that. Go back to all that because they're good again. Cameron Crutwig, 15 points per game. Like this is the kind of name that you hear about in March because you don't know Cameron Crutwig. What what is a Crutwig? No. What Crutwig is is the best player on Loyola Chicago. And oh, by the way, they their average margin of victory is 16 points per game. They hold teams to 55 points. They are destroying people. And Crutwig is going to anchor this team down low. And then they're going to run their whole four-out offense around him and they're going to hit threes. So when you're looking for a team, just know that Loyola Chicago has four kids who shoot at least 35% from three. And then they got Cameron Crutwig anchoring the middle. And the last team, Mr. Ainsworth, that you need to advance into the Sweet 16. No one watches the Pac-12. I understand. You don't watch the Pac-12. That's fine. And it's not like Colorado won the Pac-12 tournament. They actually lost to Oregon State. Okay, good luck. I want to see the defender who can stay in front of McKinley Wright. I just want to see the kid. I'd love to meet Superman. So I just want to see that kid. Because McKinley Wright, every bit of six feet, electric, all he does is score. Jeremiah Horn, like their second leading scorer. This team is so deep that for most of the season they were bringing this dude off the bench.
0: Well, you stole my pick out of Houston. Um, I also wonder that, and and I want to I talk about this a little bit with you. Do you think that because of COVID protocols, because we just saw in the Big 12 tournament, for example, Kansas got pulled out of the semifinal matchup with Texas because of a COVID case and stuff like that. Is this going to benefit blue bloods with a bunch of high-level recruits, even if they don't play, you know, or is this going to benefit the chaos that you see the... I guess you just talked about Loyola Chicago this year, but do you see the, you know, Virginia getting upset in the first round kind of stuff because
1: of this? So that's interesting. Like, it's a great question. I'm not 100% sure that this favors Blue Bloods. That being said, I do think that the more kind of high-pressure games you played against good competition— Like you get into the NCAA tournament and you you just, there's a certain level of consistency that comes with that. And so what you expect is the teams in the bigger conferences, the teams that tend to be the higher seeds, tend to play tougher competition. You would expect that to carry through, right, in a season where really you haven't been able to rely on much. You just have some memories to be able to revert back to when you get into a tough game uh, at the end. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, I'm curious. That's a great question. What's your perspective on it?
0: I kind of wonder if it's going to end up helping the Blue Bloods out because I think one of the ways you keep safe as a team requires resources. And obviously the Blue Bloods will have the more dollars to be, you know, they they can spend the entire week secluded from campus in a hotel room. We could have a whole different thesis later about how that is or isn't amateurism. But I think that <laughs> you could really, you could do that more so when you have the dollars to do that. I will say, though, that March Madness always has chaos. And so part of me wants to just hedge my bets and say
1: that this will be just an opportunity for more, right? There you go. Pick all the 16s over the ones. (laughs) Mr. Ainsworth, do you know what I think is going to be more likely to affect this tournament? It's going to be these late season injuries. So, like, before the podcast started, we were talking about Villanova and Colin Gillespie and that injury and now what that means for Villanova, right? And so I look at a team like that that's had a successful season, and I think that they're going to struggle in the tournament. I look at Michigan. I look at Isaiah Livers. Like, I'm watching the Ohio State game yesterday, and I see Livers jumping up and down in his boot. Like, he's not coming back. And so, Michigan is not a team that I have advancing as far, even though know, I love Juwan Howard. I grew up rooting for them. I want them to do well, right? Let me make you even smarter. If you're looking for a double digit seed, Utah State, uh, Nehemiah Queta, who's a kid out of Brazil, who's every bit of seven feet tall, 28 games, blocked 90 shots, average uh, 15 points and 10 boards a game. I don't know what seed Utah State's going to be. Like maybe there are 12, maybe there are 13, but I'm just telling you, Mr. Ainsworth. Um, You need to advance Utah State. That's even if they're playing Texas. So good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement?
0: Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers. between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis?
1: So, I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So, maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But... Mr. Ainsworth, this would not be the pro Texas podcast that you uh, proclaimed it to be without a story about Dak Prescott. <laughs> Hello, the Dallas Cowboy quarterback signed. The question is, should he? So the thesis statement reads Dak Prescott should not have signed with the Cowboys. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. Are you going to let your Homerism show or are you going to have an honest take? <laughs> I'm
0: flunking that. Why should he not have signed? Absolutely should have
1: signed the deal. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? Um, you know what? I was going to go B. But since you want to flunk it, I'm giving it an A. A <laughs> plus he should not have signed. <laughs> Friends, it was expecting too much for Parker to not give that thesis statement an F. He's a Cowboys fan. I understand. The thesis statement read, Dak Prescott should not have signed with the Cowboys. So go ahead, Parker. Convince me. Well, I could
0: count from one to seventy-five million, but I think that would take <laughs> way too long for the podcast. He's getting seventy-five million dollars in the year twenty twenty-one. Once you factor in bonuses and things like that, um, I, I just I understand if you're going to go this route of like, you know, the Cowboys may not be good for the entire contract because of all this, that, and the other, and the allocations of money and how they put money into a handful of skill position players and what that does to the team. But the truth is, is that he is coming off of a crazy bad ankle break earlier this season he is making the most guaranteed money of any quarterback in a four-year deal ever and if he is really healthy and good to go and playing well he can re-up and do this whole new thing all over again with whoever he wants in 2024 <laughs> at 32 years old like i, I think that there, there are a lot of positives to Dak in this deal now if you want to go down the line of should dallas have offered another skill position this much money or this, that, and the other thing, or is Dallas set up to be successful as a team? We can go down those rabbit holes, too. That That's just not... If I'm thinking of, should Dak have signed this deal, I don't see any reason why not.
1: How about because Dallas didn't show him the loyalty that they should have showed him last year, when this was the deal that Dak wanted last year, and they didn't want to sign that deal because they wanted to add years to it. Dak didn't want the years added. Like Essentially, he wanted this contract structure, and Dallas said... Cool. We'll franchise you. Dak gets injured. The Cowboys suck. And now, all of a sudden, we have the loyalty that you should have had. Like, I as an objective, outside of Dallas football fan. I mean, object as objective as I can be for someone who roots for the Giants and kind of hates the Cowboys, <laughs> right? Um, so I recognize that there's some there's some questions to my objectivity. But as someone who's not a Cowboys fan, right? I looked at Dak and I'm like, how can you have this dude and not sign him? You have the opportunity to essentially go from Tony Romo to Dak Prescott and not have a break in there in terms of quarterback continuity with a dude who can play. And if you're a Cowboys fan, did you forget the years that it took you to find Romo? Like, you you want (laughs) Quincy Carter again? Because you had Aikman, and then you had struggles, right? And luckily you had Bill Parcells, who was such a good coach, that you could find a way to win with a Quincy Carter. But then you get Romo... You have that level of success again. I get it. No Super Bowls. Now, I understand that that's the measuring stick. But I'll tell you what. You're not winning a Super Bowl with Andy Dalton. So you better sign Dak. And yeah, the going rate is $126 million guaranteed. Like, that's the going rate. So if that's the going rate, pay the dude the rate. Or trade the dude. Because I'm sure that if they had to put Dak Prescott out there in the open market, there would have been plenty of teams interested since you didn't want to structure this contract. Like, if I am Dak, I'm remembering all that. I'm remembering all the tumultuousness that you put me through in the summer when I lose my brother. Because you wanted to be like, oh, you think you know business. Man, I'd have been the pettiest dude ever if I was Dak, right? Because he could have got this contract from somebody else. He didn't need to get this contract from Dallas. Dallas needed to give him this contract.
0: I see it differently because I don't think that the franchise. I mean, I hope and assume because we've heard nothing to the opposite that he is going to be 100 percent good. Go next yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's if anything, it's worth pointing out that most medical people in sports will point out that a break is better than a you know bad sprain or these kind of right. So like, th- I think that that's the the case, but as a guy that relies a lot on mobility behind the line of scrimmage, right? he's not like a downfield runner like Lamar Jackson is, but he escapes pressure very well. Having a busted ankle is not the best. And I think it's important to note that, yes, he wanted this contract a year ago and he's getting it after missing the season with a broken ankle. Whereas if he did the franchise thing, like you're saying, and said, no, dang it, franchise me and did that, then there's a chance that he shows up next year is not the same guy post-injury and never sees this deal again, right? And so I think that, that is why another reason actually as you're arguing like he should have franchise and make this make the team pay him but that's a reason that makes this a good signing for him i also think as we're pointing out that if he you know continues to feel like getting left out to drive by the cowboys he can find somewhere else to play in at the age of almost 32 years old in the summer of 24 and there are plenty of quarterbacks we're seeing play right now very well after that age i mean aaron rodgers is 36 going on 37 and this is five years earlier than that for Dak Prescott that he'll be able to do this whole thing over again.
1: All fair perspectives. What I will say is this. If he decided that he wasn't going to do the deal with Dallas and they signed him to another franchise tag, he'd have gotten well over $30 million and still got this contract the year after. I would feel maybe different if his entire ankle needed reconstructive surgery. That's not the case. He broke an ankle. Guys come back from that. And he's not coming back from it to play receiver. Like he's coming back from it to play quarterback. Y'all were the ones being petty last year. Now your pettiness costs you my services because I don't trust this franchise. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a franchise that right from the jump I'm able to establish real trust with. And, like, Dak actually could have put himself in the same position that Deshaun Watson is putting himself. Like, at the end of the day, I don't even have to play. What are y'all going to do? Y'all paid me $30-plus last year. I will sit and rehab my ankle again for another year. I'll come back in two years and be great. I'll do the Le'Veon Bell thing. Like, there's not, Like he had all the leverage to be able to say, I'm never playing for Dallas. Now, obviously, he's not as petty as Shaka, which is probably good for Cowboys fans. Because if he was, he could really just hold that franchise hostage. And there's really nothing the franchise could do about it. Because we've seen what their quarterback options were. They would have had to have figured out a way to get Dak out of there.
0: Dallas was on Russell Wilson's short list as far as teams he would m- not mind playing for, however much credence should give that list. Um, and so, you know, there's probably some of that in the air too, as far as your Dak, like, oh, they may, really may, you know, if you think that that's a real report, be ready to move on from me. Because Wilson could certainly show up, and with the receiving core that Dallas has lighted up. Uh, also worth pointing out that before going down with the injury in the – New Dallas Mike McCarthy system. He was at a career high in completion percentage. He was just under 2,000 yards in just five games played. He had thrown nine touchdowns. Like he was playing individually as well as he's played, even if the team did not have a great win win loss record, right? He was playing very, very well. He also played very, very well individually in spite of a loss record a year ago, right? He threw 65% completions. 4900 yards 30 touchdowns like he has continued to grow as a quarterback and so I see this as a setting himself up for another huge deal at 31 years old I don't see a lot of drawbacks I just don't
1: listen everything you said is 100 percent true and the Cowboys still didn't want to sign him last year and I if I'm Dak Prescott I will remember that I will remember that you franchised me Instead of giving me the deal that we both and I think anyone who's objective about this would say he absolutely earned like they were the ones who were hesitant. They were the ones putting him through some level of tumultuousness in a time in his life where he didn't need any additional tumultuousness between global pandemics losing his brother like all of these things and Dallas didn't just take care of that dude right. They even, I mean, kept him out of the stupid promo video. Like, man, anyway. And go ahead. Trade me to Seattle. I'm five years younger than Russell Wilson. So that's cool because, like you said, I'll I'll go sign a deal with Seattle and then go get another contract afterward. Uh, Obviously, Dak's able to forgive and forget. Speaking of forgive and forget, Mr. Ainsworth, um, I want to throw something at you because I know that you are incredibly interested because we're talking about quarterbacks who signed. I know that you're incredibly interested in terms of Cam Newton. And I am curious as to your perspective on that deal. Um, because Dak made too much sense. Like, I'm happy that that all worked out. The The Cam thing is interesting. I'm curious as to your perspective. Like, should Cam have re-signed with New England? Should New England have re-signed him?
0: So, I think it's interesting on a couple fronts. One, I think this is admitting that the Stidham era was never a real threat to Cam Newton. <laughs> Jared Stidham era.
1: Um, like, whatever. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like,
0: Clearly, if they thought that was a real thing, they wouldn't have done this. I also just was pointing out that I think Mike Garofalo uh, reported that, it, so it's a $14 million contract, but the truth is it's $5 million with a lot of incentives, um, and so it's a $2 million bo- signing bonus, $1.5 base, $1.5 million per, uh in-game roster, so he's on the roster the whole year. And so it very quickly is ends up just being five if he's not very good again, if he's fairly good, like if he makes the playoffs, Pro Bowl and All-Pro so, all and so on and forth, it gets to actually ends up being very quickly over 14, um, and so I, I think that the Garofalo report shed some light on it. I see it as like, man, if Cam is pre-COVID Cam from last year, 14 million feels kind of like it's steel. If Cam <laughs> is post-COVID cam from last year is an overpay. I think and I hope that he recovers to a pre-COVID cam. I think that we've talked about on this podcast the way that COVID hit Cam and Russ Westbrook really shed a lot of light on the disease for me uh, back at you know earlier in the fall because we saw the way it hit Russell Westbrook in the bubble and we saw the way it hit Cam midseason Worth pointing out now that, like, Russ Westbrook is kind of back to himself. And so it's been a few months. Does that mean Cam gets back to himself after a few months? Obviously, it hits every individual very differently. But as two high-functioning athletes, does it impact him different?
1: If Cam Newton can have a full offseason, which he did not have with New England, right? And if he can overcome kind of the—he described it as a COVID fog. Like, those are his words. If he can overcome these things, $14 million is a steal. Man, the gospel music going to be banging after next season. Let me just tell you. Because Cam has every opportunity to come back. And, oh, by the way, I mean, $14 million is kind of a good deal for a quarterback. New England can still draft someone. Like, I don't know. It, it kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I do wonder how many years of grace Bill Belichick's going to get, though, like New England. They just used <laughs> to winning divisions and stuff, and it's like, I don't— if, if they lose next year, I mean, that might be a tough deal. That being said, it feels like a minimal risk, especially considering the quarterback market. Like, New England wasn't going to realistically be able to get a Deshaun Watson, so— this no. might be the best option, and you can still draft someone, right? Mac Jones might still be there, or listen. Even if Mac Jones isn't, there'll be someone there. New England, listen—they draft kids in the sixth round, and they win seven Super Bowls because this is who New England is.
0: All right, Mister Cummings, our last thesis heads to Brooklyn, which I don't guess is your borough, but it's certainly not far away. And so let's talk a little bit about the Brooklyn Nets and their newest addition. Blake Griffin, I say newest because who knows, by the time this whole thing comes out, they may have more. But as of when we're recording this, Blake Griffin is their newest (laughs) edition. Um, The thesis reads, Blake Griffin will be revitalized in Brooklyn. You hear that and you think.
1: I think, let me just make sure that I point out to folks, I was born in Brooklyn. I claim Brooklyn. I just don't claim the Nets. Um, (laughs) So, um. It depends on what your definition of revitalized is. If revitalized means that Blake Griffin is going to look like the Second Coming of Carl Malone, which he was kind of looking like there for a little bit, uh, that's an F. He won't be revitalized. But if if revitalized means he's going to come in, and now you're going to remind yourself that Blake Griffin can contribute to very good winning basketball teams this league, I think he can do that. So I want to go B plus. I I I believe the latter. Makes more sense. So my grade is going to be B+. Mr. Ainsworth, what are you thinking?
0: I'm sitting in the same boat. I'm kind of in the middle because the word revitalized. It, it depends on what you're actually expecting. And so I'm going to sit at like a B or a B-. All right, Mr. Cummings. Now, as we look at this, you're the New Yorker. Uh, obviously a Knicks fan and they're having a fairly good year themselves. But I, I want to ask you, you gave this a B plus. You think there is a chance that there is a revitalized Blake Griffin in New York. So what do you think that means?
1: I'm thinking, how do I get every Brooklyn rap reference I know into this segment? I, I don't know how to Where do Brooklyn it. Where Brooklyn at? <laughs> yeah, they, <we> got stand, <laughs> Brooklyn stand up. Um, so, so um, I do not go into this thinking, at least I don't believe the Nets are thinking that they're going to get, you know, Blake Griffin from 2014. Like I don't think that that's what they believe that they're getting. Now if if anyone believes that now, oh, Blake's out of Detroit, he's out of that loser situation, now he's going to come back and he's going to be stellar, like I just don't think that that is going to be the case. He's now 31 years old. And I know that 31's not old. He's he's been in the league for a long time, right? And so when I, when I think about his 31, his 31, his 31 is different. And so I'm just looking at Blake Griffin, and I'm thinking, like, what can Brooklyn get out of him? I think Brooklyn can get a serviceable big. Someone who, when they go up against a team like the Lakers, right, because they're looking ahead, that's a body that you could throw out there so that when the Lakers go small and Anthony Davis is their center, you could match that with maybe Blake Griffin is your center. Right. Like you, there's some things that I believe Blake Griffin gives Brooklyn in terms of versatility. He was still giving Detroit 12 and a half points per game.
0: I even think the start of his uh, tenure in Detroit was impressive. Um, Point blank. Understand Van Gundy was an impressive thing to see because he became a distributor that was still getting over 19 points a game. Uh, I and mean, it required less of his explosive athleticism that he's slowly been losing. Obviously, we've seen this happen before, though. Guys come to the league at 19, 20 years old, and they can fly, and over the course of their career, you know, 8, 9, 10 years in, they got to start finding new ways to control the game. Blake is fi- Blake looked like he was finding that until he really had some body breaking down. At the end of that season, I think it was the 19th season, he... Missed the last like six or 10 games of the regular season and the start of the playoffs before coming back mid-series against the Bucs. So I don't think that he'll ever, unfortunately, as much fun as it was to watch, City. he's not going back to like 2015 Blake Griffin, right? Like that, if that's what you mean by revitalized, then this is an F to me. If you mean revitalized in the sense that he becomes an important part of an important team, I go back to how he ended up in Detroit, right? So he signed the extension with LA, The Clippers then decide to really blow it up post-Chris Paul trade and ship him off to Detroit. He had signed an extension to live in Los Angeles and then get shipped to Detroit. And I ask you, Mr. Cummings, if you thought you signed for several million dollars to live in Los Angeles <laughs> and then got told you had to live in Detroit, you'd be fairly upset, I would think, right? Like, <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Listen, Eminem ain't going to come and do a battle diss track on me. You remember that Parker Ainsworth said that about Detroit. Parker said that. Um, well, but I, well, know what you, a- I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And so
0: I guess my deal there is that even amidst being... In a different situation than they thought he signed up for without his control. He certainly played fairly well until the injuries took their toll. And so if I look at him in Brooklyn, I think there needs to be a couple things happen for him to really be, quote, revitalized. First, he's got to buy into what is probably a sixth, seventh, or eighth man role. He's probably coming off the bench for this team even with uh you know their their troubles at big but i assume DeAndre Jordan continues to start i assume they play you know quote unquote small with Durant at the 4 because he's really a perimeter guy whenever Durant comes back and they've had success with lineups with Bruce Brown and and Jeff Green at the 5 in small ball lineups and so it really comes down to how much more does Blake Griffin play than those guys i think what's interesting to me is he is a facilitator unlike DeAndre Jordan is, right? He can move the basketball around. He's broken five assists a game, which several times is several seasons across his career, which again, like some people say, well, what, five assists is not a whole lot. But when you think about a small ball center, or the kind of an athlete that Blake Griffin was on the receiving end of so many lobs, he really is a guy that can distribute the ball better than I think he gets credit for. I also see Blake Griffin as a guy that mixed reviews across the Media landscape, but I think people tend to enjoy playing with him if you look at the the league. Now, media members interviewing him might think differently, but as far as people (laughs) playing with him, I think people tend to like him. And I think that's something that Brooklyn is also trying to build here and trying to throw a culture together really quickly with a bunch of pieces that are just now getting added to a team, right? They just got James Harden in January uh Kyrie played like 20 games last year Durant played no games last year right they're throwing this team together and I think that it's important to have a guy that people like to play with in your locker room in that situation
1: and I think that to point out that culture piece it's important to have guys who maybe have some of those previous relationships when you're throwing stuff together right so like Kyrie and KD obviously had a relationship and it allowed them to sign in Brooklyn but now we're trying to make this thing a championship team okay well you bring James Harden in Like, yeah, he's a superstar, and you got to figure all that out. But he and KD played together. I think it matters, right, that DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin played together, that DeAndre Jordan had a relationship, obviously, off the court with KD and Kyrie, where they were friendly and they knew each other. Now, he could vouch for what Blake Griffin can do. So now when the GM, right, Because Sean Marks has done an incredible job putting this thing together. When he comes in and he says, hey, listen, Blake Griffin's interested in coming to us, DeAndre can vouch and say, yeah, that's a dude who we want here, right? And listen, there's a piece of me that cycles back to the Dallas championship. And I remember so vividly media folks making fun of the Dallas Mavericks in that championship. Because if you remember back, Mr. Ainsworth, which I'm sure you do because you're a Texas guy and you you have this uh, level of affinity for the Mavericks. That was sarcasm. Um, (laughs) They signed uh, Tyson Chandler, Jason Kidd, um, uh, Sean Marion, guys who who were kind of past their prime. And the joke was, this is a championship contender five years ago. And, like, folks were like, there's too many vets on this team. That team won a championship because they there were vets that had actually previous experiences relationships were able to come together in a way that people didn't anticipate, and they were able to upset the Miami Heat, right, and upset the apple cart when it came to the Threedles, right? This feels like, okay, we're bringing these guys together. I get it. Some of these guys are past their primes, right? Because even if you look at, like, a Jeff Green, Jeff Green – Probably five years ago, Jeff Green was, like, this athlete who could move. And, like, now this version of Jeff Green is just different, right? But you're also right. asking this version to do different things. So you're asking this version of DeAndre Jordan to do different things. You're asking this version of Blake Griffin to do different things. Blake Griffin gives you an insurance policy in case DeAndre Jordan gets injured, which we know that's a possibility. He, he Like you said, he's a facilitator who can be on the floor in this small ball lineup and you could actually have him and Durant on the floor at the same time. I think that they actually will complement each other because they don't need to occupy the same space. They could actually, right. actually switch some things out because you could throw Durant in the post, have Blake Griffin at 20 feet. You have to respect Blake Griffin from 20 feet still, right? So I think that when you think about all the chemistry pieces, right, this could make actually a lot of sense bringing these guys together. And knowing that you need to bring together chemistry quickly, it could make a lot of sense as well, as long as you understand what Blake Griffin is and you're just asking him to be that like if you're asking Blake Griffin to essentially be what he was at the end in Detroit be a guy who could occasionally get you 20 but really hey listen we need you to play 25 minutes give us 8 points give you can give us a dunk even you haven't done one since 2019 come do one here um you know and and then we'll see like will we shake out in terms of the east and in terms of the larger picture cuz these guys are trying to win a championship I do think that there's something kind of cool about bringing these folks together, too, because while KD has a ring, while Kyrie has a ring, there's a recognition that there's 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 that uh, proverbial asterisk on those rings. Right. Because that really feels like LeBron's ring in Cleveland. That really feels like Steph's rings in go to state. But DeAndre Jordan, James Harden and now Blake Griffin, those aren't guys with rings and them guys are hungry to get one.
0: And we can talk about who's got that ring, Steph or Durant, later. But what I will say, that sounds like a different thesis for a different day. (laughs) What I I will say, though, is me in looking at this, is that part of this, too, comes into a playing with the right fit and how that revitalizes guys. The way DeAndre Jordan has played this year post-James Harden trade is he's not obviously the same DeAndre Jordan that he was in L.A. However, all four of his double-doubles have come playing with James Harden this season right like before that he was kind of like he gets you a few rebounds and a few points and that was really it since then he's a much more dominant force and one you have to count on the role account for on the role as a pick and roll guy um because the way then James Harden think about the way he played with Capella the way he cut with uh, the Russell Westbrook back cut for lobs and last year with small ball like that's the kind of thing he likes doing the floater and the way it mimics the lob are hard to guard with James and that could create the same kind of possibilities in a rotation that has Blake Griffin in it, right? There's no reason that can't be the same kind of a concept with him. It also is worth pointing out that he is a better ISO score than Jordan is, even at a, at a less explosive age that he's sitting here at. But Blake can do more things if you get him the ball at that 15 feet away mark, out at the perimeter and go by a guy. Um, even if he can't do as well as he could five years ago, he can do it. Now, it's funny you point out that bit, though, about this feeling like the Dallas team from 2011, where it was like, this would be the best team of all time 2007 in the seven, Because I maintain, if you're playing 2K, this team right now would be, have been the best team if you had, like, the 2017 versions of themselves. Like, the, 20, <laughs> the 2017 version of Kyrie, Harden, Durant, Blake, DeAndre is tremendous.
1: <laughs> Whatever. The trade engine wouldn't even let you put this team together five years ago. Like, <laughs> um, So, um, you know, I'm again, looking at this team, right? i'm thinking brooklyn can go hard right maybe to the (laughs) maybe to the conference finals and all of a sudden they're in the championship game hello brooklyn right um and if they win a ring everybody's gonna know where brooklyn's at are you with me mr ainsworth that's every (laughs) single hip-hop reference i got guys that's all my brooklyn references right there (laughs) friends that is another edition of f in sports uh mr ainsworth Talk to us about midweek, midrange. What do we have to look forward to this week, sir?
0: This week, uh, Shannon hosts a few folks are going to talk about the second half of the season. Uh, it's a fun podcast on Wednesday nights. It's live on... You can check us out on Twitter or on YouTube live uh, at Midweek midweekmidrange on Twitter and Instagram. But we sit around and talk hoops, usually pro hoops. I'm sure there'll be some March Madness worked in. Uh, but we talk basketball all Wednesday long from 9 o'clock. Uh, 9 o'clock Eastern. Check us out, though. Don't be afraid to pull up.
1: No, absolutely. And... As you're pulling up, checking out all the socials for Midweek Midrange, make sure that you uh, hit us up, too, over here at FN Sports. Mr. Ainsworth, you want to give folks your socials, sir?
0: Yeah, you can find my personal stuff at Painsworth512. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H O R T H five one two. All one word on Twitter and Instagram. We also have an FN Sports Twitter handle. That's at FN Sports 2. That's F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S number 2. All one word. Uh, I'll use the FPA so you know when you're talking to me. Shock will use dash CC so you're talking to him. And Shock, we got Instagram too
1: absolutely you can find us on instagram at f underscore n underscore sports you can find me on socials at Shaka cummings at c-h-a-k-a-c-u-m-m-i-n-g-s friends we just put another podcast in the can thank you guys for listening please go out like subscribe share do all the wonderful things to help out the podcast and please remember when it comes to sports don't flunk with us later guys